0: Welcome to the Preaching Podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. Stay with me, please. We're going to read. Uh, we're going to read verses... 16 on down to the end of the chapter, and then we'll come back to verse 16 and start digging in right there. Beginning verse 16, the Bible says, This I say then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law now the works of the flesh are manifest which are these adultery fornication uncleanness lasciviousness idolatry witchcraft hatred variance emulations wrath strife seditions heresies envyings murders drunkenness revelings and such like of which i tell you before as i have also told you in times time past that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit let us not be desirous of vain glory provoking one another envying one another thank you You may be seated if we listen to what the apostle paul deals with in this chapter you get an idea and we dealt with it last week we dealt with the leaven that had crept into this church last week and one of the ways it could be defined as leaven is the effect it was having on these churches now remind us When we read Galatians, it's good to know. You're not talking about one church. Paul, when he addressed the epistle, wrote to the churches, plural, of Galatia. So this is interesting to me. There are regions at times that get infected with false doctrine, entire regions of a country. I was talking to somebody over the weekend. We were talking about uh, different people you might listen to, preaching podcasts, and a couple of names were brought up. You ever heard of this guy? And the one guy mentioned to me, I said, ah, So he asked me, the guy asked me, what do you think about him? I often don't volunteer my thoughts unless I'm asked, especially about something like that. I said, well, I'm sure he says some things that are true and accurate, but that particular man is a Calvinist. And then I said, and often here's some other podcasters that seem to be kind of trendy and popular, and I named them. I said, that one's a Calvinist, and that one's a Calvinist, and I'm not talking about, you know, they say a statement, you think they might be Calvinists. These are men that identify that way. Uh, identify as either Reformed theology or flat out we'll say I'm a Calvinist. And I said, for whatever reason, Calvinism right now is trendy among especially conservative thinking Christians. And it is. It's become very trendy to where that's the thing to be and the thing to do. And it's a, it is a killer. It, it is a killer of some of the things we've heard about today. It's a killer of evangelistic zeal and the work of furthering the gospel. And you hear, I preach about that. My point is, Even in our country right now, for whatever reason, that leaven seems to be a common leaven spreading through our countries. Having said that, then every man of us who is a pastor or preaching, establishing churches are going to to be aware if you're going to pastor a church in this country right now, you're going to have to sharpen your defense against that leaven. Paul was dealing with a leaven in this church that he had to deal with in most of the churches he wrote to, and that was this idea of, yes, you can have faith in Jesus Christ. We don't reject that he's the Son of God but you're not really saved until you are legally a Jew. Unless you circumcise your children, keep the dietary laws, go back under the law of Moses, Paul says that's backwards. We've already dealt with that. That is is not what the law was intended to do. The law was intended to bring you to Christ to put your faith in Him. And what was happening is there was a substitute. The, the, The false teachers in the Galatian church were substituting conformity to the law for conformity to the word and the voice of the Holy Spirit of God. Not only an audible voice. Here's something I think we often we need to get a hold of this. If you're a Christian, I need to get hold of this. The Holy Spirit of God is as much God as God the Father. He's as much God as God the Son. He has an absolute, clear will for your life, and He will communicate that to you. He'll do it through the Scripture. He'll he can use things in your life. He knows how to. To speak to your heart and mind, it is our duty then to get our ears in tune with him. To say, I know the Holy Spirit of God. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. He's going to speak to me. He's going to communicate his will. And so I need to be listening. So let me me put it to you like this. Let me try to give an illustration tonight. And I've tried to illustrate this throughout. And before I do, let me back up a little bit. If you read through this, you can see the leaven that was here by the effect it was having the church. And that he says in verse uh, Fifteen. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And he says in the end of the chapter, let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Does it get you get the idea? Paul says, I know what's going on in your churches because I know it's being taught. OK, let me let me try to I, 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 I'm going to have to slow down and try to stay on point here. If you if you if you understand the way certain doctrines work, I'll, I'll pick on Calvinism again. Let me just go there. I, I, I can tell you, and there's enough, there's a few of us here tonight are preachers and, and interact a lot with preaching and preachers. And if you do interact with a Calvinist very much, you're going to have an argument. Can I get a witness? It's true. I was being Henry one day, and on social media, I just said something like, Calvinists are contentious. <laughs> and then they went on to prove my point. Just saying. So that was kind of honoring. I know. And I had fun. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. A guy took me to task. And I just thought, keep going. I don't. Demonstration A. Say, why would you do that? Because only by pride cometh contention. Now, every one of us has to deal with pride. So I'm not saying they got a corner on pride. I'm saying one of the things that you can point to and say, that doctrine is not of God is it produces pride, contention, strife, debate, things that are are against the things of God. It doesn't settle people's minds. It doesn't promote humility. It doesn't promote the things of God. You can go on the other side of Armenianism, and you could take that doctrine. I I grew up in free will Baptist territory, and boy, again, just fight with you over the drop of the hat. of That's Armenianism. whether or not you could lose your salvation. They fight with you over the drop of the hat. Throw the hat down. You know how that goes. That's not of the Lord. Uh, ye shall know them by their fruits. And one of the things Paul's having to deal with is I know because the doctrine you're being taught is teaching you to rely on the flesh. When we hear flesh, we ought to think natural man. What well, you and I are naturally, you know what he's saying, the only thing you're natural, you naturally can produce is adultery and fornication and witchcraft. You have to get a new nature to stop producing that stuff. And so if you are relying on your original nature, your flesh. You've got to be having problems with strife and biting and devouring. He knew what he was dealing with. Same thing he had to deal with in Corinth. Carnality produces the same thing, strife and envies. And he had to say, no, you need to listen to the Spirit of God. Same judgment, same mind, so forth. And so here we are as we move down into this. Uh, He has dealt with the fact this is not the purpose of the law. Here's what's being produced. Let me just say this, though, as we we move into the illustration I want to give you, if if I can. If you're going to point out a problem, so Paul has articulated a doctrine is being taught among you to go back and conform to the, the precepts of Mosaic law. That is wrong. It's producing error. It is 11 in your church. If he ended the epistle there, is that really going to help them? Well, it can help and say, boy, we got a problem. But is not part of the, the Bible is written not only for doctrine and reproof, it's also written for correction. If this is what's wrong, if, if we're free from the law and the precepts of the law, then what is our standard? How then do you determine what to do? How do you determine, ask you something. If, if a Christian has a standard about, and I mean, this is, this is what I will do and what I won't do. We use the word standard. You, you may come up a rule, a, a, whatever you want to call it. You've got, a, you've got a point in your life say, I will not do that. Let's say it regards your diet. Is it a sin? Is it wrong for Christians to have rules about the way they should eat? No. But if someone says, if you don't have those rules, you're not really a Christian, eh, look out. Right? My point would be this. Which would be better? Say, you know, we got the Mosaic Law. It says no pork, no this, no this. I'll give you, and I've used this illustration to probably have overused it. I heard a man who was a Muslim. He had gotten saved. And so I was talking to him about uh, what it was like to now be a saved uh, Muslim. And he said, well, he gave an illustration of what the Lord had done in his life. He said, I got saved. And he said, I became a Christian. And he said, immediately, he said, his dad was still in the Middle East. He wanted to witness to his dad and teach showing him how to be saved. He said, I knew my dad thought that Christians were a bunch of pork eating abominable people. And so he would assume now that you are a Christian, you're over there desecrating yourself with all this unclean meat. He said, I purposed I would not eat pork. He said, said, I knew I was safe. He said, but I wanted a testimony with my dad. And so I purposed not to eat pork. And he said, I knew the first thing my dad would say to me is now you're a pork eating person. He said, so I didn't so I wouldn't destroy my opportunity to witness to my dad. And he went home to the Middle East, witnessed to his dad, and sure enough, what do you think the first thing his dad said? Oh, now you're one of those pork-eating Christians. He said, I am not. I haven't touched it since the day I got saved. He won his dad to faith in Christ. Not because pork saved his soul or the, not the eating thereof. Yes, he understood. He had liberty to eat whatever he wanted. But he also understood it was not expedient. That's the difference between being led of the Spirit and saying, I remember talking to an Adventist man one day, and I asked him, I said, do you believe in hell? No, one will not believe in hell. I smashed something, what happened to me if I ate pork? He said, then you'd go to hell. <laughs> oh. Now, there's a vast difference there in there? One says, this is what makes you righteous. The other says, no, only faith in Jesus Christ makes you righteous. And because I'm righteous, I can do what's right. Amen? And that's what we've been dealing with. And so as we come into this, Paul's going to say, here's the problem. You're being taught your righteousness is obtained by your conformity to the law. No, if that's the case, Christ died in vain. But he didn't die in vain. Salvation and righteousness is obtained by faith in him. Here's the solution. Don't, you're not married to the law. Romans 7 deals with this. You are now married to Jesus Christ. So obey and walk in the Spirit rather than conforming to precepts. Listen to the person. Here's the illustration I want to give you. If I told my children, okay, I'm going to write you out these ten rules. Your mom and I want you to be uh, godly children, want you to be honest children. So I'm going to give you 10 principles to live your life by, okay? 10 principles. Memorize them. Look at them. They're good principles, okay? Don't lie to each other. Don't lie about each other. Uh, Be sure and always honor your parents uh, in all that you do. We're going to write you these 10 principles, right? And so I say, now, I'm I'm going to give those to you, and I know when I give them that they're going to break them, right? That's exactly what our Lord did for us. I already know that because ultimately I want them to come to place where they are endeared to me, and to do that, we got to give them the place where they realize they cannot naturally lead their own lives. Anyway, I give them an option one day. I say, look, my ten rules, how you been doing on obeying those? Let's have a, a, a child that's very concerned about his own bad behavior, and he says, Ugh, not, not so good. I say, well, what should I do? You've been breaking my rules. What's, what did you do on there that I told you not to Well. The other day, sibling X did this, and I, I got mad, and I hit them. And when I was asked about it, I said, no, I didn't. I lied, and then I lied and said they hit me first. That's exactly the way it works with us, right? But ultimately, I say, okay, I'll tell you what. You violated all this. I'm willing to forgive you. Are you interested in being able to... Be an obedient child that is that is in line with everything that's represented here. Someone who loves your parents and is doing right with your parents and doing right with your siblings and doing right with work. Are you interested in being what these rules reveal you're not? They say, well, yeah. It's okay, you can either keep the rules or, if you want, I will spend 24 hours a day, seven days a week with you, teaching you how to be. You can either have the paper or you can have me. You, you understand? And they say, well, I think I can do the paper now, Dad. Thank you, but I'll just keep the paper. That's a person who says, I don't need Jesus Christ. God says, here's my rules, the ten basic rules on how to be righteous. You are not. You've broken my rules, broken my laws. My son has taken your punishment for you, and now if you will acknowledge that and believe on my son, I'll give you my very presence to walk with you day by day and teach you how not to fulfill the letter but the spirit of that law. That's what the book of Romans says. The the spirit of the law is what the letter was written out of, meaning here's what the letter says. Well, Mom and Dad, I did exactly what you told me to do. Okay, We see the spirit in the letter demonstrated in Luke 15 the elder son stayed home he did everything his dad told him Hated his dad's guts despised him for forgiving his brother you with me but the other one conformed the spirit of the law because he repented and came back to a reconciled relationship with his father this is what Paul is saying you're going back to the letter of the law trying what you're being taught to do is go back and establish your own righteousness you already acknowledged you didn't have that and you have the righteousness of Christ in part of you so then he says in verse 16 with all that background this I say then, walk in the Spirit. With all this leaven that's among you, here's the solution. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He begins to set up this comparison contrast, we said in the introduction, between the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, and the flesh. Your natural man, that which you and I are born with, and then the Holy Spirit of God who gave us the new birth and imparts the new nature and imparts the new direction, we have inside of us these two things going on. And Paul says the answer is not the legal code, but your relationship with the Holy Spirit of God. Now, in that, we need to point out a few things here in verse 16. We will, we will have to get into verse 17 as its explanation for, for, for verse 16. There is an assumption in verse 16 that, that I think can be, can, can, can be tied back to earlier in the chapter. Paul says something that has caught my attention as I've meditated on this chapter, as I've thought about it and prayed about it and is really thinking about, okay, what, what do I need to emphasize in this message tonight? This, this has stood out to me. Uh, as Paul is speaking to them in verse 8, he says, verse 7, Ye did run well. Uh, who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And he says this in verse 10. I have confidence in you. Now, how many of us have been paying attention to what Paul has been doing throughout all five chapters of Galatians thus far? If you read Galatians chapters one through the first part of five, as we have studied it, would you say that Paul's attitude toward the Galatians is, I have confidence in you? No, he said in chapter one, who bewitched you? You are bewitched. You have been deceived in an evil fashion. Someone deceived you. They pulled the wool over your eyes. How can he say, I have confidence in you? How many of you have ever had a child that disobeyed you? You warn them ahead. You warn them ahead of something. Now you got you have to get your guard up. Your mom and I are going to be gone for the afternoon, and you're going to be tempted to argue and fight and fuss and not obey the older siblings. So be on your best behavior. Just be aware when mom and I aren't here, you're going to be more tempted not obey. And you come home and you hear, oh, boy, were they tempted. They weren't just tempted. They yielded, right? And as a parent, you're like... I told you, I warned you, I tried to help you. I didn't want you to get in trouble. I have confidence in you. Can you imagine telling that child that did exactly what you warned them they shouldn't do, I have confidence in you? You got to read the rest of that verse. Look at verse 10. I have confidence in you through the Lord, through the Lord. This is something the Lord's had to help me with. Sometimes people that are saved and are truly born again fall for some, for lack of better terminology, for some really stupid ideas. Now, that's not the way the Bible, foolish things. The Galatians should have known better than to be drugged back under the law. If they were rooted in the gospel that Paul had preached to them, Like they should have been, they should have known better than to think some kind of outward performance was going to make them righteous or keep them righteous or secure their righteousness. Here's the fact. The moment you put personal faith in Jesus Christ through the Word of God, He saved you, and that's an eternal transaction. It's done. That's the Bible, sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. But here's some believers that had the Holy Spirit that were that Paul said, I fear for you. At one point in the chapter, I'm afraid of you, lest I have bestowed labor on you in vain, meaning you're going to fall for this doctrine. It's going to stop your fruitfulness. I have poured life into you, and I'm afraid it's not going to bear fruit. I mean, they were in a dangerous spiritual place, but he says this, I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. And then he says, verse 11, and I, brethren... May I say this? There's a temptation when a fellow believer falls for deception and begins to behave as though they're not a believer to change our mind and say, well, they must just not be saved. Now, don't misunderstand me. There are saved people that claim to be saved that are not. I get that. But Paul knew, had Paul led these people to Christ, had they come to personal conviction that Jesus was the Son of God and put their faith in him, they had, and Paul needs to give them a shot of encouragement and a shot, you know what Paul had? Paul had this faith. When you trusted Christ, he put his spirit in you, and I have confidence that he's working in you, and he'll confirm that what I'm telling you is true. As we serve God's people, as we serve, and I'm telling you something the Lord has to teach me, many times we who are responsible for helping other people grow might be the source of their doubt. I'm, I'm just, I'll be, I'll be as transparent as I can be, there's been times with some of my children they made a profession of faith and then they didn't act like saints at all. So then I would say something like, well, if you really are saved, that might be there might be a time where that's appropriate to challenge someone's salvation. Don't misunderstand me. But it might be say, you know what? I've learned to say, did you trust Christ? Yes. Did you truly trust Christ? Yes. Well, then he saved you. Because he saved you, you need to line up with what he saved you to be. Learn to listen to him. My point is this. Paul believed what he preached. He believed that when you trust Christ, he seals you with the Holy Spirit. And he says to them, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, meaning I have confidence that the Lord is going to confirm what I'm preaching to you because he's present. There's an assumption in verse 16 that the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Spirit is actively working the lives of these people. Paul knew that the message he was giving them was from the Holy Spirit of God. You know what? For we who, who, who serve and preach and minister the word of God, we're not going to be able to grow the people under our care to greater faith in his word than we have ourselves. Amen. If I'm constantly doubting myself whether or not God has done what he said he would do, then I'm going to pass that doubt on to someone else. Here's the Apostle Paul by the leadership of the Holy Spirit saying, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you be none otherwise minded, uh, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment whosoever he be. Meaning the Apostle Paul was able to distinguish between the wolf and the sheep. There was someone that had come in there and was, was disseminating false doctrine to those who had at one point in time been sure of the truth. He said, whoever it is that's coming among you and troubling you with this false teaching, they'll get their judgment, but concerning you, I'm trusting God to do what I know he promised to do, and that is to work in you, to seal you. And so Paul is operating from the assumption the Holy Spirit of God was indwelling these people. You know what? I can preach until I am blue in the face, but if the Spirit of God does not communicate to your heart that what you're hearing is His Word and His application. Volume, fervor, push, and press won't get it done. There has to be the work of the Holy Spirit of God confirming within the heart and the conscience of the individuals here. That's why it's important if you're saved to know you're saved, to know that He's working that new... De- How many of you ever noticed that there is actually a desire inside of you to do what is right? And we're not careful, we get haughty about that. If Christ didn't live in me, if the Spirit of God wasn't in me, you know what I would want to do? Because how many ever notice this? There's also a desire in you to do wrong. That's true of me. I have a desire to do right. I have a desire to obey God. I have a desire to be used of God. I have a desire to have treasure in heaven and I have a desire to fulfill my immediate uh, passions of my flesh at the instantaneous at that same time. Here's the danger of false doctrine. Which one of those desires does it inflame? False doctrine will inflame your natural fleshly desires. That's why we guard our doctrine. We guard against that which stirs our fleshly lust and and give yourself to that which builds you up in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul, verse 16... There's a conclusive principle. If you're taking notes in verse 16, that's how I have titled that. There's a conclusive principle here. Paul makes a, a statement, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. The assumption is that in this verse is that the Holy Spirit was present in their lives. But not only that he was present, he's present in the world, according to John 16, reproving the loss of sin and righteousness and of judgment. But he was convinced that there were those possessed of the Holy Spirit that he was writing to. He was convinced that the Spirit of God can confirm what he was teaching them. How many of you know this? If it is solely up to you to persuade an unbelieving sinner to come to faith in Jesus Christ, how encouraged are you about going soul winning? If it's entirely up to you, your debate skills, your reasoning skills, your ability to hold their attention and convince them of the truth. They've been steeped in religion all their life, some false religion. They believe they're righteous without Jesus Christ, and you and I get to convince them, no, because you don't believe what I believe, you're going to hell. That works well, doesn't it? But you know what? What we believe is what God said. And when we give the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God is able to work and hire that person and say, what they are telling you is absolute truth. It's not their truth, it's not a Baptist truth, it's God's truth. And if you don't accept this message, you're in trouble with God. That's what the Holy Spirit, He reproves of sin and righteousness and of judgment. Can you imagine trying to win people to Christ without the aid of the Holy Spirit? Either to guide you or to convince them? I cannot. It takes a miracle for a person to get saved. You know what? Paul applied the same principle in seeing Christians grow. I've been pastoring for a few years now, and I'm concluded if Christians are going to go forward in faith, it's going to require the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna to have to preach, confident that he's present, confident that he possesses the heart of the believer, and confident that he is proactively working to accomplish his will in their life. Once again, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident, there's that word again, being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says uh, in verse 12, I believe it is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The next verse says, for it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. This is why it is extremely important that we who teach and preach the word of God, whether we're parents, whether we're a Sunday school teacher, whether pastor, uh, church planting missionary, uh, a sibling giving a younger sibling the, uh, the, the word of God, that what we're saying is what God says. Because if I start saying I'm speaking on behalf of God and I start giving my opinion, I can't expect the Holy Spirit of God to go along behind there and work and convince that's true, right? Paul says, I have confidence in you through the Lord, meaning I'm expecting God to work. He met, there was an assumption in verse 16 that the Spirit of God was present, that he possessed the heart of believers, that he was proactively working in their lives, and he had the power to resolve a problem. I'll just be honest with you. I'll try to be transparent again. When you're trying to influence the lives of people, okay, so you say, Pastor, do you have um, an objective for the members of this church? Yes, yes. Do I want my life to influence how your life is lived? Absolutely. I want to see every member of this church grow in faith. I want to see your life grow in godliness, meaning be more like God and less like the world. I want to see you grow in holiness. I want to see you grow in compassion. I want to see you grow in the work and service of Christ, using spiritual gifts to accomplish God's will and purpose. But how do we do that without one man taking over another person's life? I want to see that, but I'll be honest with you, uh, there's got to be a point where we realize if that's going to happen, God has to work in every participant. The Spirit of God has to work through the one that's desirous to see that change. The Spirit of God has to work on your end. He's got to work on my end. He's got to work on my end to keep self out of the way to communicate what he says in his word. He's got to work on your end to convince what you're hearing is my word, and I want you to apply it. I'm telling you, the work of God falls to shambles without the Spirit of God. So, whether it was Paul leading people to saving faith in Christ or seeing Christians grow, I'm watching, look, how, how easy is it for people to change? I began to say one of my fears is if so, if I've got an objective as a pastor, I have an objective as a parent. I want my children, God has been gracious enough to give us 10 children. I pray, and my wife prays, and we've prayed since Casey was born Lord, please send our children to labor in the harvest field. That's our prayer. That's what we want. That's what God wants. And one of my fears is it won't happen. You think Paul Paul said it? He said, I fear that I've bestowed labor on you in vain. One of the fears of serving the Lord is that you're going to fail at accomplishing your objective. But you know what it comes back to? I'm confident in you through the Lord. You know what? This is God's work. And if if God doesn't uphold it, it needs... Psalm 127, 1, Except the Lord build the house the labor in vain that building. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. So the idea would be, the Apostle Paul has expressed his concern that these churches were going to, look, how how many hours of labor do you think he had invested? The kings are here tonight. The church down there is, is getting going. It's off to a great start. But my goodness, how many hours, how many tears, how many dollars have been invested just for Iglesia Batista de Valle de Santiago to exist? How many, if you knew, you're going to go back home and it's all going to fold because some false teacher got in there in 10 days. That's like saying, you know what, I'm going to cut your right arm off. Huh? Amen? Where your treasure is there, where your heart, be. also, you pour your life, and here's the apostle Paul, he has poured into this people, and he's realizing something has crept in among them that could absolutely destroy them. But you know what he does? He comes back and demonstrates them what he's going to preach to them. I know the Spirit of God is present. I know the Spirit of God is working. I have confidence that he's doing that work in you and that he will confirm what I'm saying. And so when he says, this I say, then walk in the Spirit, he is assuming that the Spirit is there to walk in. There's an assumption in the principle that the the Holy Spirit was present, the Holy Spirit possessed the bodies and lives of those he was writing to, that the Spirit of God was proactively working to, to reveal that what Paul was saying was true and to deliver them from this, and that he had the power to accomplish the work. Look, if you would, at Ephesians chapter 3. This is much a message on the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit. Soon in Sunday school, we'll be going through a lesson as we go through the ABCs on the person of the Holy Spirit, a very valuable lesson. Ephesians chapter 3, verse one of my favorite favorite texts of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul is telling the Ephesians how he's praying for them. He's explaining how he's praying for the Ephesians. He wants them to comprehend the love of Christ. He'll explain that later. But in verse 16, he says that he, speaking of the Holy Spirit of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, by the Holy Spirit of God, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. This this confidence that the Spirit of God was there is assumed when Paul says, this I say, then walk in the Spirit. You can't walk in someone who's not present and doesn't possess you. And then if the the, the assumption is this. Walk in the Spirit means he is actively leading you in the way you should walk. I believe this with all my heart. Now, every saved person in this room, the Holy Spirit of God is trying to direct your steps right now. There have been things in the preaching today. There's been things in your interactions today that he's trying. He is working to show you this is the direction you're going or this is the direction you're going or this is the way you're thinking and this is the way you're thinking, but I want you to walk in the, This is the way, walk ye in it. He's proactively working to accomplish the righteous will of God in your life. And so Paul writes to the Galatians assuming the Holy Spirit is there He is working to direct your steps and He has the power that you need to accomplish it that He would grant you, Ephesians 3.16, according to the riches of Christ, He would grant you by His Spirit to strengthen you in the inner man. And so He's emphasizing, that's all assumed, it's not spelled out, but it is assumed when He says, this I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So that's the assumption in this conclusive principle is that the Spirit was present, possessing the lives of those that were believers, proactively working to direct and lead them and have enough power to enable them to walk the life he called them to. Uh, and so then the other aspect of that principle is the absolute, and this is what I love about this verse. It is impossible to sin while obeying the Spirit of God. It is, it is impossible. I've, I say this many times, but one of the things I enjoy about mathematics is that there are absolutes. One of the things I hate about the English language is that there are not amen yeah, i mean there are but there's always exceptions to the absolutes no exception to this i like i like that it's simple cut and dry this i say then you learn to do what the spirit of god tells you and you will not need a list of statutes to keep you from doing sin you know what law is there to do Law's there so you can punish people when they disobey Law is not for the righteous. We all understand that. It's not written for righteous people. It's written for sinners. Because it's this. So you you speak to an Armenian and they'll say, well, if you don't lose your salvation for doing wrong, then what restrains you to do right? That tells you they don't understand salvation. Meaning, we all want to do really bad things, don't we? And the only thing restraining me is I'm afraid I'll go to hell if I do. Not if you're saved. If you're saved, you already know you deserve to be in hell. It's the grace of Christ that kept you from there. And so the assumption that we need, oh, you better go back to the law or you're going to live a wicked life. No, the Spirit of God indwelt you the day he saved you. He is working in you both the will and do of his good pleasure. You mean to tell me he's going to lead you to violate the very law he wrote? No way. But it's not about code. It's about its about him. It's about submitting. And you say, well, how do we know him? He will take any portion of this Bible, Genesis 1, 1, Revelation twenty two twenty one, 21, and apply it to your life in a very practical way. How I many of you have ever read an account in the Old Testament and you know that was not the, the, the primary interpretation of that account, but you saw yourself in that account and the Spirit of God says, that's you. How I many you know the Holy Spirit of God can take any portion of this book he wrote and apply it to you for practical direction of your life in an instant of time so that really, you know what, the Christian life is just so simple. When God takes the Bible and shows you this is what's right, this is what I've saved you to do, we just do what he tells us. What law tells you to cast nets in the depth of the Sea of Galilee? Was there a, I mean, was there, which commandment do you go to? Okay, on this day of the month thou shalt thrust out into the deep? No. The Lord Jesus told Peter, go and cast your nets, that's Christian living. He's living, the Spirit of God is living. You know what happens? You know why people go back to the law instead of listening to the Holy Spirit of God apply all of Scripture? Because they're not convinced he's alive. Many times, there's not a conviction. I'm not saying they're not saved. Some are saved and get duped. I'm saying there's not a conviction. He is active and capable of leading and directing and applying his word to me, not in 10 commandments, but in any commandment meaning now i am i am in a an active personal I, I don't want to overuse and abuse the term but relationship with god wherein he is the shepherd and i am the sheep there's an absolute Paul says this i say then if you're concerned about not fulfilling the lust of the flesh the law of moses is not the answer the life of jesus christ is the answer the living spirit of god is the answer because and by the way that this is this is what This is what makes everything, it's it's what makes our hope lively. Peter called it a lively hope is the fact that the Spirit of God is given us by the living Son of God to communicate His mind to us. The Bible tells us, I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that we have the mind of Christ. How How can the Scripture say that we have the mind of Christ? Because we have the Spirit of God to communicate to us His mind, and that... What Satan wants to do is confuse us, get us distracted from listening to the Lord's leadership in our life through his word, and as we communicate with him in prayer and hearing what he wants us to do, submitting to his will and following through. Instead, he wants us distracted on something else that gets the focus on us and our ability. And you know what? Your false religion leads the same place as leading the book of Galatians to the lust of the flesh being fulfilled. It's amazing to me. I used to have this naive idea that those... The, the strictest people as far as adherence to the law and putting confidence in, and look, a lot of people call me very strict because I'm not going to do this, I'm going to do that. But I'm talking about, you know, you'd think some of the religions that really promote uh, your saved by your performance, you would think those would be very pure living people. <laughs> Don't fool yourself. Just scratch the surface a little bit, and underneath... There's all kinds of filth, just like the Pharisees. If you knew a Pharisee, and I'm not preaching, it's having guidance and rules in your life, you know that. If the Spirit of God is leading you, there's going to be some things in your life. There's going to be rules, amen? Those who don't have rules are called unruly. <laughs> and God said, warn them. I'm not talking about being unruly. We're talking about not putting confidence in the flesh. I can perform what is right by my own reasoning, by my own power, by my own ability. No, no, no. It's not by might, not by power, but by thy spirit, saith the Lord. And so then the assumption in this principle is that the spirit was there, but the absolute is, this I say then, if you want the solution to not sinning, obey the Holy Spirit. Help me tonight. Let's get practical. I don't want this to just be broad before we conclude. How many of us could specifically say, I know the spirit of God wants me to do this? Let's start. We have two missionaries with us today. We've, heard that we, we've had a mini-missions conference. It's wonderful. In Sunday school and the presentation tonight. How many of you know the Holy Spirit of God wants you to get the gospel to the ears of someone else? Now, if you can't raise your hand, you need to get right with God. Maybe I should say it a little more plainly. I don't know. <laughs> of course we know that. If you don't know that, someone's deceived you. Someone's deceived you with some leaven somewhere saying, well, that was... Uh, For that time, we're in a different dispensation. It doesn't apply to you. No, no, no. We know that. So, what does it mean then to walk in the Spirit? This, This week, we have to look for the opportunities and give somebody the gospel. Right? That's what it means. How many of us know this? The Spirit of God has specifically commanded you to make prayer a priority in your life. Mark 14, 38, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Pray without. And we can go on and get verses on prayer all night long. So how many of us know the spirit of God wants me to pray? Walk in the spirit and you should not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How many know God wants, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God wants you to meditate in his word, meaning he doesn't want you checking your Bible reading off your list. He wants you to look at it, read it, think on it, Dwell on it, chew on it, and then apply it. How many of us you know that? Well, this I say, then walk in the this... See, which, com- which Ten Commandments is that that tells us that? Or is it the whole of the counsel of God and the mind of Christ in you? A lot of Christians act like they don't know the will of God. A lot of times that's just cop out. Honestly now, we know more of the will of God than we want to admit. The will of God is not a mystery. It's there for us. What blinds us to us is an unwillingness to do it. But Paul's saying, just do what God's told you, and what He communicates through His Word. After Paul got done writing this Galatians this letter, you know, one thing they knew: we are so, the Holy Spirit of God has told us to quit listening to the Judaizers. Did they know that? Did the Holy Spirit of God communicate that to them in writing? You know, what them walking the Spirit would mean we got to cut them off. We got we got to quit listening to those guys. So the point would be this. You know how you keep from sinning, stay busy obeying? Isn't that complicated? One of my children, some recent past. I don't want to get too detailed because I don't want to single out any of them out or embarrass. I could could use myself as an illustration, but this is recent, so I'm going to use. One of my children had gotten in trouble for something, for doing something they had been clearly instructed not to do. They did it at an exact time when I had told them to be doing something very different than that. And instead of doing what I had instructed them to do, it was time for them to do this. Okay, get on this. Instead of doing that, they chose not to do what they were told to do, and then guess what happened? While they weren't doing what they were told to do, they started doing what they were told not to do. Isn't it amazing how many times when we should be praying, if we're not praying, we end up doing something else we should? You know why Peter slept? Because he didn't pray. We say, well, he pr- didn't pray because he slept. I believe it's the other way around. Amen? It's very simple tonight. There's a conclusive principle here. We'll read verse 17 we'll wrap it up. And that is the Spirit of God is present with you. He is communicating to you his mind through his word. And if you don't want to sin, you don't need to go back to the law. You just need to obey what he's telling you to do. You need to walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. May I say this? that Your flesh wants what it wants. Let's look at verse 17. For the flesh, he says, here's why I'm saying this. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit. Please don't miss this. Everything the spirit of God wants for you, the flesh wants the opposite. The spirit Spirit of God wants you in church, your flesh don't want to be in church. The spirit of God wants you to give the gospel, your flesh don't like that. Mine either. The spirit of God wants you to spend time in prayer, well, I don't want to do that. The Spirit of God wants you to spend time in the Bible. He wants you reading God's Word. He wants you cleaning up something in your life. He wants you to cut a habit off. Once the Spirit of God communicates, this is something I don't want in your life, it's a bad influence, all of a sudden your flesh wants it even more. It's called the lust of concupiscence. I want it because I was told I can't have it. So the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are the contrary, the one to the other so that you cannot do the things that ye would. But, verse 18, if you be led of the Spirit, you're not under the law. Meaning there's a natural incapability to do what the Spirit... Romans 7 outlines this very clearly. To do what the Spirit of God wants us to do. But then he remind, verse 18 is a reminder, but you're free. If, you're, if you are being led of the Spirit, that means He's present in your life, which means you're saved and you're not under the law. You're not bound to your sin by the law. You are liberated to obedience by the Holy Spirit of God. Which we've seen in recent weeks. This tonight, you may be here and say, Boy, I'm having, I'm having a difficulty. I continue to do something I should not. I have a lust in my flesh, and I know that the Spirit of God does not want that, but my flesh wants that. I'll guarantee you, if I'm continually doing and fulfilling that word fulfill means to execute, to carry out, to complete the lust of the flesh, you know why it is? Somewhere I'm not submitting to the mind of the will and the will of the Holy Spirit. There's something he's telling me to do that I'm not actively walking. You know what walking means? It just simply means take a step. Take a step. I want you to do this. I want you to do this. And he's used his word to communicate that if we would devote our lives to obeying his mind as it is communicated to us, you cannot be sinning while obeying the Spirit of God. It is a divine impossibility. Amen? So if there's some area where the flesh is being fulfilled, you know what it should do for us? What is it when I'm fulfilling the lust of flesh that the Spirit of God is saying to do instead? There's something, we're going to put that off and do this instead. And So tonight, God's communication to us is if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God is present in your life. He is the possessor of your body. He is proactively working to accomplish His will to lead you in the way you ought to go. I love Psalm 23, 4. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He is working to defend his good name through your life. But what's our part? Walk in the Spirit. Comply with him. Submit to him. And put into action the steps of obedience he wants in our lives. Amen. It goes hand in glove with our message this morning. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. And final conclusion, one last illustration. We know of the great sin of David. How many of us would say that was a lust of the flesh sin? I'm going to understand why he was in a position to commit that sin. It was a time when kings go forth to war, David was not doing what he should have been doing and therefore he ended up doing something he never dreamed he would do. I'm going to say this again. I've, I've, I've emphasized this all year long in Bonnorsbury Baptist Church. If we have a sin to guard against, if we have a weakness we better watch out for, it's not... All, you know, it's not what is doing, it's what am I not doing. I just would agree that sins of neglect are more subtle than sins of commission. Make no mistake, sins of neglect always lead to sins of commission. What I omit to do will end up leading me to commit something I never dreamed I would do. So ask yourself, now I, I trust, you know what I trust? I, I have confidence in you <laughs> through the Lord that as this message is being preached, he's dwelling in your heart and saying, right here's where it's at. I need step no further. He knows your heart. I do not. We have confidence he's working to say, this is where you need to take a step of obedience. And so if that has been made clear, then what should we do? Probably good to take a physical step out of our seat, go bow our knee, and say, all right, Lord, you've been telling me I need to do this. I'm going to obey you. But you know, he doesn't want words so much as he wants just obey. Just walk in the spirit. Let's stand tonight.